What role will Jeremy Ruckert have as a rookie? What should the Jets do with their remaining salary cap space? And should Joe Douglas be on the hot seat this season? We'll discuss all of this and more on today's bonus mailbag edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Thursday, May 26th, 2022, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. I thank you for making this show your first listen or your first watch every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. A big shout out to subscribers to this podcast. And to join that group, all you have to do is click the subscribe button where you are listening or watching, and you'll never miss an episode. And if you happen to be watching on YouTube, this episode on YouTube, please give it a big thumbs up. It helps the channel out and it helps other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Well, today we're going to do a bonus mailbag episode. Each Wednesday, we try to do a mailbag. We do one a week, but typically I don't have enough time to get to all the questions. But since we're in the off season, since we have a lot of great questions, I decided to do a bonus episode today. So thanks once again to everybody who submitted mailbag questions, and hopefully we can get to every question that was submitted this week. Our first question is about a rookie tight end. The addition of Jeremy Ruckert has me really excited for this offense. I feel like the Jets now have the pieces in place to run pretty much any formation successfully. That said, are we going to see some serious innovation to the offensive play calling like what we see in Baltimore? I'm talking about potentially running 23 or 32 personnel with Ruckert coming into play a fullback tight end split that would keep defenses guessing. I love the idea of lining him up as a fullback tight end split in 23 personnel that confuses defenses expecting power running and then splitting everyone out wide and creating serious mismatches. Or running a 22 uh, personnel set with Ruckert as fullback and power running in a formation that defenses might expect pass. Will we see any serious innovation from this offense? So the question essentially comes down to, does Jeremy Ruckert mean we'll see more 23 personnel 23 is two backs three tight ends or even 32 three backs two tight ends and whenever you hear that whenever you hear like a number after personnel the first number is the number of running backs the second number is the number of tight ends and subtract the subtract the number of running backs plus the number of tight ends from five and you get the number of receivers on the field uh, so question is, are the Jets going to, I think essentially what this is getting at, are we're going to see a lot of power formations? Are we going to see the Jets use a lot of three tight end offenses? I think the answer to that would probably be no. I think that you'll see a lot of two tight end offenses. Uh, you know, I, I think it probably will approach something close to 30%, which is close to the league lead. And I think that's really where Mike LaFleur wants to be. It's where he was early last season when the Jets inexplicably, you know, did nothing at the tight end position. They brought back, you know, I guess they brought in Tyler Croft, but that Tyler Croft, you had Ryan Griffin, you had Wesco, and you're running a bunch of multiple tight end sets. It made did not really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, this year, of course, the Jets went on a shopping spree in free agency, adding both CJ Uzama and Tyler Conklin, and of course, they drafted Ruckert in the third round. You know, are you going to see a lot of three tight end sets? I don't think so. It's just not really done that much in the NFL. And, and as I said, the team that you know, the te- if you look at the current NFL trends outside of Miami where they're counting Mike Gusecki as a, as a tight end. If you look through like personnel groupings, 
there's really no team that uses two tight end sets more than 30% of the time. Again, Miami was the exception, but that's like counting Mike Gusecki as a tight end. And he really, the way he plays, he's functionally a wide receiver. So I do think the Jets will approach something close to 30% double tight end. And they want to run the ball. So I think you'll see you'll, you'll see power formations, but the power formations will have two tight ends on the field. They won't have three tight ends. I, I don't think Ruckert was drafted for this year. I think Ruckert was drafted as a guy they liked, to, they liked down the line. I mean, his game needs some refinement. He did not, he was not a big part of Ohio State's passing offense with good reason. I mean, you look at the receiving talent Ohio State's had on the field the last couple of years. I mean, all you need to know about Ohio State's receiving talent is Jamison Williams had to transfer from Ohio State to Alabama because he couldn't get on the field. And that, that really says it all, doesn't it, about the, uh, the types of receivers Ohio State has had. So it's not necessarily a mark against Rucker that he was not part of the Ohio State passing offense, but he's going to have to learn, you know, he'll, he'll, he's going to have to learn. And you know, I'm not sure he ran a huge route tree at Ohio state. And the other thing about this is I think he's got potential to be a really good blocker. And you know, as much as anything I look for, are you willing, are you willing to, you know, do you, are a lot of blocking is just about effort. You know, are you willing to throw your body around? Rutgers willing to do it. I think there are many points where he's kind of undisciplined as a blocker where his hand placement isn't great, where he's leaning a little bit, especially when they, they use him kind of like on the move as a blocker. Sometimes he just kind of, he's a little out of control and he doesn't finish his blocks as well. So I, I think like he's got potential to be a good player for the Jets. I don't know if he's going to be, but I think he's got potential to be a good player for the Jets, but I don't think he, this was at all a pick for 2022. Now, I think, you know, in goal line situations, you'll play three tight ends and, you know, obvious power situation, maybe like a fourth in inches. You'll, you'll see him on the field, but outside, I think this year is really about development for him. I think it's, it's not really about him playing this year. Again, it's about the long term. And, you know, if there's an injury, maybe he'll step onto the field. But I, I think essentially, you know, CJ Uzama is not that young, probably not a long term player for the Jets. He's probably, you know, a guy who's going to be here two years. That would be my guess. So I think they'll want Rucker to step step in there. Um, you know, Baltimore Baltimore is a unique offense. Baltimore does their own thing. And part of that's because of the talents of Lamar Jackson. You know, Zach Wilson's not that talented of a runner. He, Zach Wilson's got functional athleticism. He's got functional ability as a runner. And I know he broke that big run against Jacksonville. But, you know, I go back to college. I see all these people talking about how the Jets need to utilize Zach Wilson in the run game more. And I just think about it at BYU. There were so many times I saw Zach Wilson get brought down in the open field by a linebacker, and that tells me he's not really going to be explicit. He can, he can be a functional runner, you know, on the goal line. Maybe run a zone read and use his running skills that way. I think there will be moments where you know things break down. He'll be able to scramble and pick up some yardage, like he did, you know, big run against Jacksonville. But I don't think Zach Wilson's the kind of guy you build your run game around the way you Baltimore does with Lamar Jackson. And the other thing about Baltimore is this was a point I heard Booger, Booger McFarland make during the NFL draft, which I thought was a really good point. It's not easy to, for Baltimore to get receivers because receivers want the ball. And if you're playing a heavy run offense the way the Ravens are, and I know the Jets will be a heavy run, Baltimore will be an even heavier run offense. Um, you have to block at the receiver. Receivers like to get the ball. They don't like to block. So it's difficult, like if you're a free agent, to get a free agent receiver to come to an offense where, A, you're not going to get the ball that much. And B, you got to block because those are the two; those are the opposites of what you're looking for. I, I so I don't think Rucker. At the end of the day, I, I don't think this is like the Jets are trying to revolutionize offense by going three tight ends. You know, you're still as much as you're trying to. And I, I very much of the mindset that you should try and put as little on Zach Wilson's plate as possible, but. There are limits to that. Zach Wilson's got to, you know, the Jets can't run the ball 90% of the time here. They have to try and develop Zach Wilson. 
And the best way to develop Zach Wilson is to have his best receivers on the field. Will Rucker play? I mean, Rucker will see some situational time this year, but this was, I think whenever, and you also have to keep in mind that this is a guy who was picked at the end of the third round. I think it's something like 10% of third round players actually make an impact as their as rookies. And this is like thing people don't realize like how early in the draft you have to pick in order to get guys who are going to play year one. You know, I mean, for your first round picks, you're expecting to play year one, maybe your second round picks, but even as early as round three, you're not really getting guys who are going to make immediate impacts in this league. If you get a guy in the third round who steps in as a rookie and is great right off the bat, you've done very well. It's not a situation where it's an expectation, though. The reason you pick guys in the third round is that you're hoping they eventually become good players. And you have a reasonable shot at getting a decent player in the third round, but usually it takes a year or two because if the player was more refined, if his, play, if his game was more developed, usually he would have gone higher. If you're picking, if a guy is falling to round three, it means... Well, yes, he's got he's got enough potential to be drafted round three. That's why he's not falling to four, five, six, seven. But it also means he, you know there's something wrong with his game that probably needs a little bit of refinement, and that's why he's not going one two. I, I think Rucker, I, I like the pick, and the Jets obviously, you know, even back to the Senior Bowl, there was a lot of buzz about how much the Jets liked him. So he was a guy that was kind of on my radar, and I'm happy the Jets did pick a tight end this year. I, I was a little worried that the signings of Uzama and Conklin would prevent them from being able to do that or it would prevent them from doing that because I, I, I was worried they'd have a mindset well we're set here but really this is the perfect situation to draft a tight end because he has a couple of years to develop with Uzama and Conklin in front of him and you know I, I go but I go back to what I said you know are we talking about like putting these tight ends on the field and spreading them out well you're better off putting receivers on the field you're better off having Elijah Moore and Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson on the field and spreading them out. I think those those are guys who will give you a better opportunity to do to do what you're looking to do. Now, ahead here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we'll talk about the remainder of the offseason. The draft is done. Most of free agency is done, but there are still a few decent players out there. Will the Jets use their cap space to sign in any of them? I'll tell you what I think as we continue on this Thursday Lockdown Jets episode. Of course, the Jets have made some great additions this offseason, and Built Bar just constantly adds new great flavors. And... Built Granola is now here. Built Granola Bars come in three unbelievable flavors. There's chocolate peanut butter, there's coconut chocolate, and there's white chocolate berry. And if you want to try all three, you can get a mixed box at Built.com right now. And these bars are different from just the regular Built Bars or the the Puffs. Built Granola Bars are loaded with granola. It's the perfect combination of crunch and chewiness. But just like the Bars and Puffs, they are packed with protein and covered in 100% real chocolate. And with 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar, Built Granola Bars will change your world because Built has cracked the code to, be- to make better granola. They're the perfectly ha- healthy snack to pack in your lunch, take on the road, or eat as a snack. So if you've been waiting for a healthy and delicious gro- granola bar to hit the market, this is your time. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15. If you do that for Built Granola or any other sort of Built Bar, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, it's promo code LOCK15. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at Built, B-U-I-L-T, dot com. The Jets are obviously going to build their offense this year around the power run game, and you don't want to worry about power if you're a business owner, however, and you don't want to deal with the hassle of energy decisions. You just want your business to run smoothly, and you want to pay a fair rate for power. But coming off the back of one of the highest-priced winters of the last decade, if your business was on a purely variable or market rate, you paid out the nose. Many New York business owners switched suppliers out of frustration, but unless you chose an alternative pricing option, you're still at risk for a January repeat. 
That's where Catalyst Power comes in. They power with you or your trusted energy consultant to produce a power supply plan that fits your business and your market risk tolerance. They have a suite of options customizable for your business's needs, including options that bundle with or focus on renewable energy. Right now in New York, they're offering on-site solar solutions for you that require zero installation, maintenance, or material purchase costs for your business. That's right, no CapEx costs. And to sweeten the deal, qualified businesses could be, up, it could be eligible for up to six months of at-cost energy supply from Catalyst Power. Go to catalystpower.com slash lockedonjets to learn more. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listen or your first watch every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We continue with our weekly mailbag. It looks like the Jets have over $6 million left in the salary cap. Of course, injuries happen, hopefully not too many, and teams want to leave some wiggle room to respond to those injuries with a signing or two, or maybe they can take advantage of trade opportunities where the team may have to absorb some salary for a good player. How well positioned are the Jets for roster flexibility should the need arise? Is $6 million enough? How does it compare with other teams? It's a good question. And you know, last year the Jets had so many injuries that they actually had around, I think, sixteen million dollars entering the season. And they ended up with like less than a million. And it's just because they had to keep signing guys. I think usually this is kind of the sweet spot where they are right now. You know, you have to remember there are a couple of a couple of additions that are c- gonna come automatically before there are any injuries. In the offseason, only the t- fifty-one players with the highest salary count against your cap. Once the regular season begins, you have to add two players because you have 53 players on your roster. You also have to add on the practice squad. Practice squad counts against your cap. Now, you don't have to pay them as much. There's no limit. There's no like maximum, but you and the minimum is far lower, but you do have to pay your practice squad. And, you know, the NFL changes its practice squad rules really late, but I think the expanded practice squads are here to stay. You know, back in 2020, they, they expanded the, the practice squads um, because of because of covid and I think what happened is NFL teams realized that it was good to have a bunch of extra players in reserve. So I think that that's here to stay. So you have to add those numbers on. And then through the season, if players suffer injuries, you have to uh, you, have, you have to sign replacements. And those guys are typically, you know, usually they'll come up from your practice squad. But again, the minimum salary for the practice squad is a lot lower from the minimum salary for a player on the active roster. So you essentially have to, uh, you know, so you, have, you do have to put some money aside. Are the Jets able to strike right now if a trade, if potential trade that makes sense comes available? They could be. I mean, here's the thing with the salary cap is you can always manipulate it to get a player that you want. Um, you know, and essentially, this is the thing people don't really get. The sal- People make the salary cap out to be more complicated than it is. This is what I can tell you about the salary cap. You pay every single dollar you pay to a player counts against the cap. The cap just can change when the bill comes due. Maybe it's like kind of like putting a. You know, sometimes you can essentially put a player's salary on a credit card. If you pay a player five million dollars this year, your cap bill over the long haul will be five million dollars. But there are ways to manipulate it where it's say you give he counts one million against the cap this year, two million next year, and two million the year after that. Essentially, it's kind of like sometimes it's just delaying the charge you pay for a player, and that's really the that's really what cap manipulation comes down to, and. It's okay to do it occasionally. I think the teams that get into trouble, like the Saints, are the ones that just do it too much, where they push too much money into the future and they really limit their flexibility. And then they end up losing guys like Trey Hendrickson and Marcus Williams. Those are the t- That's where it gets bad. But you can always, if, you, if there's a player that makes complete sense for the Jets, you can always move some money around. Um, so my estimate's always around five, six million when it comes to entering the season. But 
uh, so I think they're fine. I mean, hopefully you don't suffer injuries to the degree you did last year. But part of the thing about like moving money around is that with the new TV deal coming in, the cap's going to rise a lot. So if the Jets needed to move some money around and push some money to the future, it's probably not going to materially hurt them, especially if we're talking about like bringing in guys at the minimum salary. So I, I think they're about where they're about at the plate at the point where you should feel fairly comfortable. Our next question, what's the deal with all the injuries the Jets suffer? Is this a sign that the MetLife Stadium turf is an issue? We've heard this for years. The 49ers complained about it a couple of years ago. Should the team look into it? You know, this is interesting. I have a lot of people who, who ask me about this. I've gotten a number of emails over the last few months about the MetLife Stadium turf. And uh, listen, uh, full disclosure, I am not an expert when it comes to evaluating the quality of the turf at MetLife Stadium. But it does seem odd, doesn't it, that the Jets suffer all of these injuries? And it is odd that like you heard you hear players complain. And one thing I do know is that the NFLPA has put out documents that claim that there are more injuries suffered on artificial turf than there are on grass fields. Like the NFLPA is very adamant that they want fields to be grass. They they, they feel like and they feel like they're stu- they have studies that show that injuries happen more frequently on turf fields. So I mean. I'd have to look at it. I don't know what the rate of Jets injuries are on on MetLife, MetLife Stadium at home versus elsewhere. Now, you may remember back in 2020, I mean, the Jets had an incredible number of hamstring injuries in training camp that year. And that was not MetLife Stadium. They were playing, they're practicing, they're training for the season at the team facility in uh, Florham Park. So it's tough to say. And that was, you know, that was after the Jets famously tr- changed their training staff. So, you know, but that's part of the question is the training staff doing things the right way that that comes into play. Um, I, I think it is worth looking into just because there's been so much talk about the issues on the turf at MetLife Stadium. That's the only that's the reason I would say maybe you look into it because it just seems like there's a lot of buzz around it. And the Jets do have do seem to have an awful lot of injuries. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast. We will close out this mailbag episode, this bonus mailbag episode. I'll tell you some thoughts about OTAs, and I'll tell you what I think about Joe Douglas heading into the 2022 season. That's ahead here on this Thursday show. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Thursday. We are doing a bonus mailbag today. Our next question, John, I don't, I know you don't put much stock into OTAs, but other than Zach Wilson, is there one player or storyline you're keeping your eye on? Uh, I mean, not a ton. I think there are a couple that, you know, I think whenever you have a player coming back from injury, it's interesting to hear about his recovery. Occasionally, like there actually is like one of these, most of the time you hear a storyline in OTA about how a player's dominating or a player's playing poorly. And it'd be, it, you forget about it weeks later. But occasionally, like one of these is actually the beginning of a story. Like last year with Denzel Mims, you know, that's when the buzz began that there was something wrong with, there was something up with Denzel Mims and the coaching staff. And obviously that that panned out. So this is kind of like the chapter one of like the story of 2022. So, you know, like some of the stuff you hear will just be noise. And the, you have to remember, like the media is not in there for every day. So they're not watching the entirety of this stuff. You're getting a very you're getting you're getting a very small picture of what's actually happening, because first of all, you know, when you're there, I've been I've been at the team facility for practices before. You don't. You can't. You can't possibly see everything that's going on at once. So you're getting a very limited view to begin with. But then you're not even there. Every, you're not even getting reports every day. So I think you know, in players rec- rec- recovering from injuries. If you get updates on them, that's interesting. 
I think Mims, you know, if we get any information about Mims, whether maybe he's progressing this year, if there's anything about, you know, how the coaching staff is happier with him, how he's getting more reps with the first team offense, maybe that's something to look at. Um, but, you know, I think you got to be careful. I always say this. You would never care if you heard in October that some player had three great practices in a row or three bad practices in a row. So why would you care in May? When we're not, we're even further removed from when the games are happening, and the reason people care so much about this, and I think it's very simple. There's nothing else to talk about right now, so you feel like you have to talk about something all the time. And sometimes, but sometimes, like there's just nothing to talk about. Sometimes there's just no news from the team, and that's fine. We can break down some of the things we're looking forward to heading into the season. I think OTA. I think I think this time of year is like the most dangerous time because people just like come up with like the the weirdest theories I mean everybody's getting ready for the season they're doing it their own way I'll tell you one thing I would not focus on during OTAs I do not care who's there and who's not there this is one thing people obsess over they say well you you, know, you this guy's showing effort he's showing he's going to be there with the team look I've seen plenty of players be very successful training for the season by not going to OTAs just because the guy's in OTAs doesn't mean that he's going to have success either so that's one thing I'm not looking to but aside from this, I mean, some of the other stories, like the stories of Zach Wilson bulking up. I mean, listen, maybe it'll help him. Maybe it'll make him more durable or something. I'm sure there are reasons Zach... I, I don't think it's going to hurt Zach Wilson that he bulked up. But, I mean, all this talk about it. At the end of last season, who was saying, like, you're listing the three most important things for Zach Wilson? Who was listing bulking up in one of those? That's where, but now we have all these stories about how Zach Wilson's added all this muscle during the offseason. That's great. Listen, I mean, if he's in good shape, that's good. That's very good for the Jets. But this is not going to, like, this is not like, you know, adding more muscle as a quarterback is not the same as, like, you know, reading a defense, delivering an accurate football. These are the things you're looking for with Zach Wilson. They're not going to be answered in OTAs. And our last question, what will we, what will we be able to judge Joe Douglas on by the end of the year? And is it possible he'll end up on the hot seat? Well, listen, it's always possible. I mean, I, I, you know, I go back to that 2014 season. Absolutely nobody thought John Idzik would be, ever be on the hot seat that year. He was entering his second season as GM, and of course he ended up getting fired that year. So it's always possible. The thing with GMs, and this goes back to what I was saying about OTAs, we always have to have, like, the definitive judgment on everything. So people, like, have to crown Joe Douglas the, the next great GM, or they have to say he he's, he's doesn't know what he's doing. At this point, there's there's like some evidence that Joe Douglas might be have might have this team on the right track, and there's some evidence Joe Douglas may not be that great. There have been some good moves for Joe Douglas. There have been some bad moves with Joe Douglas. There have been some things that you make you say, okay, maybe we're onto something here, and there's some things that make me wonder whether maybe this is not the right guy. We don't know right now. I, I don't think we're going to know by the end of the season, but I think we will have a better idea about. I, I think I'll have a better sense. I think this will be after really three years. This is really his third year. And after three years, I feel like I'll have a good sense about whether I'm expecting this to go right or not. I'm not sure I'm going to be in a spot where I'm going to say Joe Douglas needs to be fired at the end of the year. But if the Jets, you know, don't play meaningful, I guess like they've they've set the um, goal as playing meaningful December games. If they don't do that this year and you're three years into your GM's rebuild process, I think it is fair to say that you know, maybe this thing is not what we want it to be. Maybe this is not moving in the right direction. Is that enough to fire the guy or give him, can you give him one more chance? I mean, I tend to lean in the direction of giving him one more chance. But the other thing about this is everybody says before the start of the season, everybody preaches patience before the start of the season. 
And that patience lasted until the team goes on a two-game losing streak, and then everybody's got to be fired, and nobody knows what they're doing. Except if you're, if you're the offensive coordinator. If you're the offensive coordinator, then I think it's like three straight three and outs, and everybody wants you out of here. Um, I, I'm willing to get... I, I feel like I'm probably not going to be in a spot at the end of the year where I'm ready to move on from Joe Douglas, but this year's going to go a long way. I think feel about, feel like by the end of this season... I'll either be a lot more confident or a lot less confident in Joe Douglas because now that this is the end of year three and really the second year of this process, we should have some tangible confidence that the Jets are moving in the right direction. And this should be a much more, listen, with all of the resources the Jets have had to improve this team over the last two years, this is not a competitive football team. And I know there's, I know there's a tough slate of quarterbacks on the schedule. This is not a competitive football team. That's a problem. That's, I'm not saying they need to be a playoff team, but I'm saying they got to be a team that's given other teams' problems, and they got to be a team that wins more than more games. That's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoyed the show, subscribe to it. Leave it a five-star review if you're listening on a podcast source, or a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to close out the week.